<laughs> I know. It's not. It just feels like it, smells like it, tastes like it. If you've got your Bibles with you tonight, open up to the book of Exodus. We're going to continue our, our journey. If you'll remember, we are with Moses. Moses is up on the mountain with God Almighty. God has given him or spoken to him the Ten Commandments. He's also laid out for him the, the concept of uh, the sacrificial system that would be coming. And right now he's going through the plans for the tabernacle. So he's laying all those things out. Now, you and I, we've been going through this for a few weeks now. We've been talking about it for a few weeks. And imagine how it was for the children of Israel. As we go through this study, remember, in a couple of chapters, Moses is heading down. And he's going to find the children of Israel losing uh, focus, if you will, desiring to worship something and someone. So they are going to build a golden calf. As we think about that, as we consider that, as we take a look at what the scriptures lay out for us, I think it's incredible that even as God is giving the law to Moses and the children of Israel are going to fail in their attempt to keep the law, even before he can present it to them, God already had set up the sacrificial system. And as we take a look at the tabernacle tonight, as we take a look at the the brazen altar, as we take a look at the the fence that is around the tabernacle proper, and as we take a look at the high priestly garb, everything, every piece of material, everything that's a part of the tabernacle is all going to point back to Jesus Christ. And we'll see that. And we know that. It's not like we're drawing some crazy conclusions because the book of Hebrews tells us that. The book of Hebrews tells us that the, that the tabernacle is, is Jesus Christ. It lays out for us that the, his flesh is the veil. We talked about that last time. It's going to lay out for us today that he is our high priest and that that high priestly garb and all those things that the high priest is going to wear is going to point to the things that Jesus does not only for the nation of Israel, but that he also does for us as our high priest, according to Hebrews chapter 3. And as we take a look at that, we want to see all those things. We want to recognize all those things because God knew ahead of time before anything happened, before anything fell apart, that there was going to be trouble. He made uh, uh, an opportunity for the children of Israel and for you and I to have a right relationship with him. So we'll see that as we take a look at these things. Just so we can kind of remember where we're at, I got the, the, the slides. We'll run through them real quick. Are they still on there, Betty? So we'll take a look at it. One of the first things that we want to recognize, one of the first things that we want to try to hold on to, even then, even back at that point, God wants the children of Israel, and I I believe he wants us also to recognize that he was supposed to be the center of everything. Where was the tabernacle kept? The center of the encampment. They kept it right in the middle, right in the center, that, that God would be the center of everything they did. How did they know when they were supposed to move? Well, God, the the Shekinah glory of God that was over the tabernacle would move. And so they would move to to, to follow that Shekinah glory of the Lord. Wherever God led, they went. And they went based on God being the center of everything that they did. Every, Every daily function, every morning, every evening, the sacrifices, the offerings that they would bring were all centered around the Lord. And that's key for us. So we, if we want to understand, put our life in a place where our life has balance and our life is, is being lived out properly, that God's got to be the center of it all. 
Not something in a corner, not something that we keep in a back room. It can't be just a Sunday thing. It's got to be an all-the-time thing. God, right in the center of it all. And we see that the tabernacle was set in the center. The opening, the only, how many openings to, to get into the tabernacle? One. How many ways? One way to the Lord. One way to heaven. One way to a relationship with God. Who is that one way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The, the material used to make the veil within, the, within the, the Holy of Holies that held uh, the holy or separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies was, according to the book of Hebrews, the flesh of Jesus Christ. What do we read in the temple when Jesus died on the cross? What happened to the veil? It was torn, right? No longer was there any separation. Man would be able to come directly to the Lord, covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have access so we can enter boldly into the holiest of all. We can enter boldly because of the sacrifice, the, the tearing of the flesh of Jesus Christ that was accomplished. That same material made the veil, made the door that went into the holy place, made the door going into the tabernacle, the entire area. The material in it all is Jesus. Again, how many ways? One way. Jesus said, I'm the way. The door faced to the east. The tribe of Judah is the, 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 the insignia that would mark the east or the eastern encampment of the children of Israel. The tribe of Judah is through whom the Messiah would come, right? The Messiah was the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so the opening always, always, never didn't, always faced Judah. Again, God painting a picture for you, for me, for those who will come after, for those who went before. Messiah will come through the tribe of Judah. The door opening is on the side of the tribe of Judah. It's all made of the same material as the veil. And it's all pointing to the one way of Jesus Christ. As we take a look at the next slide, it gives us a basic idea of how things were laid out. And we'll be talking a little bit more about this tonight as we talk about the, the linen fence that's going to be, that, that was put up around it. The linen fence is going to be uh, 100, 150 feet by 75 feet, basically depending on whose measurements you go by. Uh, we know 100 cubits by 50 cubits. The argument is whether a cubit's 18 inches or 22 inches, and nobody knows. Cubit's a cubit. The measure of the cubit was from the tip of the finger to the elbow of the ruling king that was in control. So however long that was, that's why cubits would change. So basically they go by 18 inches today to try to figure that out. So as that's laid out, as it's laid out for us, we have the fence, okay? No one could get into the area of the tabernacle to worship except one way, the gate feeding, facing the east, coming through the tribe of Judah in order to get in there. Once you entered into that place, you're immediately faced with a brazen altar. That's where we're going to be starting tonight as we take a look at the brazen altar that's going to be developed the brazen altar, from the brazen altar where the sacrifice is made, when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, where do we, where's that relationship begin? That relationship begins with the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross, that he paid the price for our sin. That's what the brazen altar would, would symbolize and would signify. So first, there is that place of salvation at the cross. From the cross, they would go to the labor. The labor is where they would wash themselves. What does Ephesians chapter 5 tell us? That we're washed by the water of the Word of God. That's that work of sanctification. First comes salvation. In salvation, we receive justification, which means we're made just as if we'd never done it. 
From there, as we move closer, constantly moving closer to the holiest place, moving closer to that place where, where Christ is, then we come to the bronze labor, which speaks of our sanctification, being washed. It speaks of our, our baptism. We're dead to the old life. We're alive to the new life. From there, we come into the place of service. You'll notice that the curtain on the front of the tabernacle where the linen fence is, is the same color as the door going into the tabernacle. As we enter into the tabernacle, and we we talked about a lot of this prior, hanging on that, again, if we consider that the veil and the materials used for that all point to Christ according to the book of Hebrews, they're built on five pillars at the front of the tabernacle. Those pillars are set in bronze. Why are they set in bronze? Bronze speaks of judgment, always speaks of judgment. And so as we take a look at bronze, those pillars held in bronze, on them hanging the flesh of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he would bear the judgment for us. He would pay the price. The hooks that held that door at the front of the tabernacle were made of silver. Silver speaks of redemption. So the body of Jesus Christ would be, would receive the judgment God would pour out upon him. The, his wrath for sin, Jesus being sinless, pay the price, buys for us redemption, and that's the work which it allows us to enter into the place of service. The holy place is a place of service. To the left, as you walk in the door, is a menorah, that uh, seven-branch candle. Jesus said, I am the vine, and we are what? The branches. The center of the menorah was the vine. The center was higher, taller stem than the rest. What's the number of man? Six. How many branches were there? Six. Three on one side, three on the other. All exactly the same height because we are all equal distance from being able to measure up to Jesus Christ. But some are closer than others. That is where our choice is in regard to our relationship with the Lord. How close do you want to be to God? We can choose to be closer, we can choose to be further, but not, none of those things lift us in, in our ability to measure up to the rule, which is Christ Jesus. We're, we're all equal, just how close to him do we want to be? And again, that light, what did Jesus say? I am the light of the world. And so the menorah speaks of that light. Straight across from the menorah on the right wall, Table of showbread. Remember, showbread means his presence. It's a table of the bread of his presence. That Jesus said, remember in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Again, the table of showbread. Speaking of that fact, God's provision uh, in Christ Jesus, that we would receive salvation through him. Not only that, God's provision for us. Straight as you head toward the Holy of Holies, would be the altar of incense. We haven't talked about that yet. The altar of incense is where the prayers, the incense rising up to God, the prayers are offered. The prayers will be offered in that place. Now, any priest could enter into the holy place. That was the place of service. The place we want to enter into service, what happens? First, we come to salvation. We move through sanctification, which is a process that's going to take place our whole lives. We enter into service through the sacrifice again of Jesus Christ, paying the price and redeeming us. And we come to the place where we can be a light, where we can help to provide, where we can lift up intercessory prayer. We have opportunity to serve. That's part of our natural growth if we want to be closer to Jesus. In order to be in the Holy of Holies, 
You have to go through all these. There's no door in the back. We go through service. We come to the place of the Holy of Holies. We, again, book of Hebrews tells us, Hebrews chapter 9, that the veil is his flesh, that flesh which was torn for us. There was separation, but in Christ Jesus there is no separation. We enter into the Holy of Holies. There are two pieces of furniture in the Holy of Holies. The first piece is the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is just the box. Remember, the box, every piece of furniture, speaking of Christ, the box made out of what? Acacia wood. Acacia wood or wood in general speaks of humanity. What was it covered with? Gold. Humanity covered with divinity. Jesus Christ, fully man, fully God. Into this box is placed what? The Ten Commandments. Why? It shows God's righteous requirement to have a relationship with Him. To have a relationship with Him. So, we have this box, God from heaven looking down, seeing the righteous requirement. Unfortunately, man cannot measure up. So the second piece of furniture is also placed in there. We think of it often as the lid to the Ark of the Covenant. It is, in fact, the mercy seat. The mercy seat is made out of pure hammered gold not molded gold pure hammered gold why because god would be beaten to to appropriate for you and i mercy the mercy seat would sit on top between the two cherubim god said is where i will dwell so when god looks down upon the ten commandments and mankind's failure what does he see the blood the blood of the lamb sprinkled on the mercy seat that speaks of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Every piece, every part pointing to Him. Every piece, every part modeled for us from something that already exists in heaven. For example, the mercy seat is the throne of God. It's the throne of God. You get to heaven, we'll see the mercy seat. And by the way, in the book of Romans, in chapter 3, I believe, the scripture lays out for us that Jesus has become our propitiation. You've heard that word before, propitiation. The word in the Greek is hesperion. It literally translates to mercy seat. That Jesus is our mercy seat. He is what withholds judgment of God for our failure. So God sees the blood of Jesus Christ on the mercy seat. So it gives us a basic idea of the tabernacle since we haven't been... Uh, Talking about it for a couple of weeks. We go to the next slide. We'll go through these a little quicker. Again, here's the layout of how it goes. Remember, it doesn't quite indicate it on this on this uh, drawing that the holy uh, the holy place was twice as big as the holy of holies. The holy place was twice as long. The holy of holies was a perfect square. Uh, but basically, it it would if you lay it out it. If we drew a line through all the implements, we would have a cross. If we go to the next slide, as we take a look at, uh, again, the, the measurements for the outer core, we can go to the next one. Uh, the covering for the tabernacle, remember that the boards on the side, which uh, speak of you and I, are held together, bound together, uh, covered in solid gold. So the inside of the tabernacle in the holy place in the holy of holies will be pure gold the walls pure gold unfortunately you can't see it because covering over that 
The covering over that is that same material that speaks of Jesus Christ. We come to the second covering. What do we have? We have goat's skin, speaking of the sin offering. The, the goat became the scapegoat on Yom Kippur, where all the sins were cast upon him, and then he was sent outside of the camp. The next covering would be red ram skin. What did red ram skin speak of? Genesis chapter 22. Who was the substitute sacrifice uh, for Isaac? The substitute sacrifice was a ram caught in the thicket, covered red, speaks of the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. Then the overall covering covered with badger skin. Basically what that meant is it just looked like a tent in the desert, a dirty tent. From the outside, if you don't know nothing about it, it doesn't look special at all. But when you get inside, it was amazing. It was incredible. And that's how our relationship is with Jesus Christ, man. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're looking from the outside, these things don't make sense. What's the big deal? What's this all about? But when you get inside, when you get inside, it all begins. We, we, we can see the beauty of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We take a look at the next one. Uh, more pictures of the coverings give you an idea how they were laid over the tabernacle. And again, uh, the boards and how the boards would fit together, providing the in- interior uh, as a, a perfect wall of, of pure gold set, everything set in sockets of silver. What did silver speak of? Redemption. That we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So we stand on redemption. Redemption keeps us off of the earth. We're not the same as everything else because we've been redeemed. That's a picture that we see in the tabernacle. As we take a look uh, at the next one, that's what it would have looked like from the outside. Nothing special, nothing spectacular. Can't even see all the gold and all the things that were made up of it because it required you to be in. To understand the beauty of Christ, we must be in Christ. As we take a look now at the next one, I think we can leave the next one up. That's the brazen altar. That's where we are tonight. So that gives a brief overview of where we've come from and hopefully where we're going. Chapter 27 of Exodus, he says, Now, you shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long, five cubits wide. The altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits. You shall make its horns on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it. With bronze. Remember, bronze always speaks of judgment. Wood always speaks of humanity. From the beginning, from Genesis, mankind is judged and he falls short. And so there needed to be a sacrifice. There needed to be a sacrifice to redeem men. Again, as we consider the acacia wood, don't lose sight of the fact that it was most probably the wood utilized to make the cross that that Christ died on. So as we take a look, we have this perfect square altar, which you and I looking at, it's, it's like a, a pit barbecue. And that's what, what it would serve as. The different offerings are going to be brought to this brazen altar. Some of them are going to be burned totally. And the smoke rises up to God, and it's as though God is partaking. Some, part of it would be cooked and prepared for the family, and they would take that meat and eat it. And part of it would be burned. Uh, it just it just depended on what was being offered and how it was being offered. The, the, every part of the animal that was sacrificed was utilized. It served a purpose. The skin, uh, the fat, 
every piece, every part would be a part of the service that the priests used. Some of it would provide the priests with what they needed to, to survive because they received no inheritance. Whatever they got were from the offerings that people brought. And so all of those things we would see uh, fulfilled in the offerings that would be brought to this brazen altar. And you shall make its pans to receive the ashes, the shovels, its basins, its forks, and its fire pans. You will make all of its utensils out of bronze. This is the place where sin is going to be judged. You shall make a great fort, a network of bronze, and on the network you will make four bronze rings at its four corners. You shall put it under the rim of the altar beneath that the network may be midway up the altar. So you see how the, the brazen grid would fit inside and on, onto which would be placed the offering. Uh, you, as you make this grate, you shall put it under the rim and you shall make poles for the altar. Poles of acacia wood and overlay them with bronze. Why? Because everything in the tabernacle had to be portable. Nothing was permanent. Ultimately, folks, when the tabernacle, when the children of Israel come into the land, where does the tabernacle go? It goes to Shiloh. And it's going to stay in Shiloh until David says, man, I have a nice palace and, and this tent is all that there is for God. We need to build a place for the Lord. And God ultimately will not, will tell David he can't do it, but that Solomon will. So that's, the tabernacle is going to be with them even when they come into the land, even when they come to that place, it will be placed there in Shiloh. Uh, it always needed to be able to be moved. It always needed to be able to go wherever the Lord was directing as they were coming through the wilderness. Now, uh, the poles uh, will be put in the rings, and the poles shall be on two sides of the altar to bear it. And you will make it hollow with boards as it was shown to you on the mountain, so you shall make it. Now, as they make this, the Scripture tells us when they moved it, they would cover the brazen altar with purple, uh, just solid purple covering. And then over that would go the badger skin. And then they would move it like that. And whenever I think about that, I think about what did they do with, <coughs> with the Lord as, as they were placing on his shoulders the, the, the robe of, of a king mocking him. And, and all of that covered with badger skin, which speaks of the humility and, and Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8, that he made himself of no reputation, that he didn't demand as Almighty God the rights that Almighty God deserved. He set aside those rights as he comes covered in humility, facing the judgment, ultimately the sin judgment, that, would, that Jesus Christ would pay the price, that we might have a relationship with him. So that is the brazen altar. That's that altar. The very first thing you're going to come to as we come into the courts. Now he's going to talk about those courts as we go on. Verse 9. You shall also make the court of the tabernacle. For the south side there will be hangings for the court made of fine woven linen, 100 cubits long for one side. He's going to cover this. It's going to be a linen fence. What does linen speak of? Remember we talked about that linen speaks of righteousness, purity. We're not righteous. What keeps us from entering in from all sides to the tabernacle? That we don't measure up to the righteousness that is required. So how do we have to enter? Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Through the sacrifice of the Messiah. So this linen fence is going to be 7 feet tall, 150 feet long roughly, 75 feet wide with an opening only on one side. 
Okay, as he goes through, he's going he, he's gonna to give us those measurements. <clears throat> On one side, uh, it shall have 20 pillars, and their 20 sockets shall be bronze. Bronze, speaking of judgment. We, we don't measure up. We are not righteous in and of ourselves. And the linen, the righteousness, is hung on silver hooks. Speaking of redemption, we're not going to be able to pay the price for ourselves. Someone will pay the price so that we can enter in, purchase for us redemption. And then, what does the scripture say we'll be clothed in when we're in his presence? White linen. We're going to be wearing the same things that we'll see in a moment that the priest, the the everyday priests are going to wear. Not the high priest because... The high priest is Jesus Christ. But as we look at it, we're going to put on it. What's that, what's that white linen represent? Righteousness. How's our righteousness earned? By our works? No, by our relationship with Jesus Christ. That we put our faith and trust in him, and that purchase, purchases for us righteousness. So as we look, we've got 20 poles on each side, the long ways, <clears throat> that, upon which they're going to be hung. Verse 11. Likewise, along the length of the north side, there will be hangings 100 cubits long and 20 pillars and their 20 sockets of bronze and the hooks of the pillars and their bands of silver. And along the width of the court on the west side shall be hangings of 50 cubits and 10 pillars and 10 sockets. And the width of the court on the east side shall be 50 cubits. Now these hangings on one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three sockets. And on the other side shall be hangings of 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three sockets. He's laying out how far apart they're going to be spread, the distance between them as they are able to. And keep in mind, when this went up, every time they moved, it all came down. It all got carried. It all got put up again. Everything, the the fence, all of it, every implement that they would carry through. Uh, and on the other side, verse 15, shall be hangs of 15 cubits, three pillars and three sockets. For the gate of the court, there shall be a screen, 20 cubits long, woven of blue, purple, scarlet, and fine woven linen. Remember we talked about that. Blue speaks of the, the fact that Jesus Christ came from the heavenlies, that he's from heaven. Purple points to the fact that he is king of kings. And Lord of Lords, scarlet speaks of the sacrifice that would be given and the fine woven linen of his righteousness. That's the material that we saw made in all the places wherever there was a door that was a passage into the tabernacle. It says now on this by the weaver, it will have four pillars and four sockets. Four pillars is always going to point us, should always remind us of the four gospels. It should always remind us of the four faces of the, of the living creatures that stand around the throne and say, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. Why? Because those are things that the Bible talks about, those fours. Those fours. Four gospels we see. We see those four faces and they all coincide to one another. There were four sides, four directions, north, south, east, west, around the tabernacle. Each insignia around the tabernacle coincided with the four faces of the four living creatures and also coincided with the four gospels and the points of view from which they came. There's a purpose behind it all, a piece in which it all fits. As we look at the four gospels, remember, in the four gospels, what do we have? We have Matthew, who presents Jesus Christ as the King of Kings. 
The insignia for a king is a lion. One of the faces of the four living creatures was a lion. The insignia of the tribe of Judah was a lion. All of these will, will come together. We have um, Mark presenting Jesus Christ as a servant, as a suffering servant. The symbol for the suffering servant was an ox. One of the faces of the four living creatures was an ox. One of the insignias for the four encampments around uh, the, the children of Israel was an ox. It all ties together. Luke presents Jesus Christ as the perfect man. One of the four faces of the four living creatures was the face of a man. Again, the insignia of a man is one of the insignias that the children of Israel had around the tabernacle. It all ties together. John shows us Jesus Christ as God Almighty, deity. The symbol of deity was the eagle. One of the four faces of the four living creatures is the face of an eagle. One of the insignias around the, the children of Israel is the insignia of an eagle. So as we look at all those things, they all fit together. They're all pointing to Jesus Christ. They're all pointing to characteristics of who he is, what he's done, what he's accomplished for us. So there's, as crazy as you want to get, you can find things pointing to Christ throughout this tabernacle as we take a look at all that's done. Verse 17. Now all the pillars around the court will have bands of silver. Their hooks will be of silver. Their sockets of bronze. The length of the court shall be 100. The width 50 cubits throughout. The height 5 cubits made of fine woven linen and its sockets of bronze. Again, 7 foot roughly. 7 foot tall fence. Solid white linen, you can't see in, you can't get in, you can only enter one way. That's why Jesus said there is only one way to the Father, and that is through Him. We see that pictured in the tabernacle. Now, it says in verse 19, all the utensils of the tabernacle for its service, all its pegs, all the pegs of the court shall be made of bronze. And you shall command the children of Israel that they bring pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. Folks, all throughout the scripture, oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. The anointing upon the high priest was what? They would pour oil upon his head that he would be anointed for service. So anointed by what? By the oil? No, anointed by the Holy Spirit to accomplish the work that was laid out for him. So I don't want you to miss what's being said here. How did the people come in, in, in service? How did they come in worship? How did they come and gather before the Lord? They brought oil with them. Sometimes I think we think, well, I'm going to go to church so I can get some oil. But that's not how it worked. They brought oil with them. Because they had a relationship with God. We want to have a relationship. We, we, we want to come together so that we might minister to the needs of one another. That's why we gather together, not to receive. It's not about what can I get. It's about what can I give? How can I serve? How can I help? Who can I pray with? So that, and, and when we have need, so that we know I can go to any brother, any sister, I can come to the, to the elders, I can come to, to Pastor Jackie, whatever. We can come, we can receive, we can pray, we can be around one another, but we are to bring oil with us. We're to bring oil with us that the light would be lit. 
so that the light of Jesus Christ would shine. We don't want to keep it under a bushel. We want it to burn brightly. It's interesting because as we take a look at this picture, the people are bringing oil. It reminds me of Zechariah. Zechariah brings a prophecy to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is, is rebuilding the temple, the second temple. He's having a hard time. You know, it's rough. Uh, it's, it's the same time with Nehemiah and, and Ezra and all those guys. You know, they're, they're building the city with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other hand. It's a big battle to try to get the temple all finished. It's hard to stay focused and keep moving forward. And the prophet comes to Zerubbabel and he says to Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel had had a dream. And he said, what did you see? And he said, I saw the menorah. And from the menorah, tubes came out of the menorah and went to two olive trees. And each olive tree, the, the oil from the olive tree flowed from the tubes into the menorah. It's like an automated system. Nobody had to pour oil in. The oil was continuously being fed. And when he described that to the prophet, that's when the prophet said to him, the Lord is saying, it's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's the empowerment for us. Sometimes we think we want to come together in a body to be recharged, and many times that's what takes place. But what we really want to do is stay connected to the source all week long, Monday to Monday, Sunday to Sunday, that we're connected to the Spirit, being empowered by the Spirit to accomplish the work that God's calling us to do. But we see that pictured in the service that was taking place at the tabernacle, that the people came with oil. And that oil, is, we'll see in a little while, is going to be specifically made a certain way. Now, uh, verse 21, in the tabernacle of meeting, outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord. I love the fact that God always talks about days that way. Evening to morning. I love it because I'm a pessimist and I tend to go the other way, morning to evening. What do I mean? Well, most of the time, my day starts light, but it's moving toward darkness. But with the Lord, it starts in darkness and it's moving toward light. That it's the evening to the morning that was the first day in Genesis chapter 1. And so as we look at it, that's the way that the priests would serve. From evening to morning, there was evening sacrifices, the morning sacrifices, constant sacrifices each And every day, they always had sacrifices to give, sacrifices to offer in that time. And that symbolism I see from evening to morning. We're moving toward the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now, we may not agree, all agree eschatologically on how that's going to take place. But I tell you this, Word of God says Jesus Christ will be king. Word of God says he is going to rule and reign. That's going to happen. And on that day, it's not going to be dark no more. It's dark now, but we're moving towards that day. We're moving toward that time when Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he sets and rules over the nations. And so we look forward to that time that we will be together with him. As we take a look now in verse or chapter 28, he says, Now, take Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel that he may minister to me as priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. 
Now, as we take a look at this, it's important for us to see a couple of things. One, who's involved in the ministry? Whole family. Aaron and his kids. All of them. All of them are a part. Second thing that we want to see is this ministry. So often we think our ministry is for the Lord. That's not how it's supposed to be. Our ministry is to the Lord. There's a difference. We can do things for God or we can do things to the Lord. It's completely different. It changes our attitude and and how we think about how people are treating us when we're providing whatever service we may be doing. Because if I'm doing it to the Lord, it doesn't even matter about anybody else. All that matters is what I'm doing for Him. And so that's the way the ministry was to be. That's the way the ministry is still to be. That our service is to God. It's not to me. It's not to the uh, to, to Carol who heads up our children's ministry or with Jason and George and the guys in, in youth ministry. You can serve in all those places, but it's not to them. It's to the Lord. It's to be to Him, offered up to Him. Well, as we go on, it's going to describe how they're to be, how they're to be dressed. So you will make as holy garment for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. There's that phrase again, ministering to me. And I also don't want you to miss the fact that how, all the gifted artisans, I am blown away. You, you can go to the Temple Institute in Jerusalem. Uh, you can go to, there are several uh, uh, places in Jerusalem where they've rebuilt the tabernacle. The funny thing is, everyone you go to will be different. Why? Because in all the description that God gives, he always gave room for, for artistic development. He'd say how big it was supposed to be. And how it was supposed to fit together and what piece went where. But then you had opportunity to, to, to use the gifts that you were given. And when we see the tabernacle built, you're going to see a specific man specifically gifted by the Holy Spirit to do the work. So today when they try to figure out what the bronze labor looks like, they don't know. They don't know how it looked exactly. They know what it did, but not exactly how it looked. Because the man who built it was specifically gifted of God. The guy who put the high priestly garment together. He had a gift. He had a talent. And the Lord says, I'm the one who filled him with that talent. And it's the same way today, folks. We can see the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from who? Our Father in heaven. Every didn't say every good gift in a Christian. It said every good gift, period. Comes from God. It's a gift from God. What we do with it is our gift to Him, right? So as we take a look at that, this is, this is that, that concept. Each and every one of us, guys, has been gifted to serve as a part of the body of Christ in a, in a place, in a capacity that is perfectly put together for us. And when we step into that place and we minister to the Lord in that place, we won't get burnt out. We won't get fried. We, we, we're just going to be able to do exact because that'll be the place I fit. That's my part. That's, my, that's where my gift is. That's where we're supposed to be. And so we want to 
find that. We want to plug in. We want to be a part of that. Utilizing the gifts that we have to minister to the Lord and to glorify Him. As we, as we continue, he's going to go on now. <clears throat> you, uh, uh, verse 4, And these are the garments which they will make. A breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister, how? Again, to me. That he may minister to me as priest. And then he's going to go on and describe each of these pieces. We can go to the next slide where I got a, a picture, the artist's rendition of the high priest garment. You're going to see the linen, uh, which is represented in the white. The robe is blue. The ephod is that colored garment. Again, what is it made of? Same stuff that's used for the veil. Same stuff used for the doors. The ephod speaks of his authority with one interesting characteristic that's added. It's got the blue, the purple, the scarlet, and the linen threaded into it. And into it also is threaded gold thread. Gold thread. Uh, the empowerment or the, the authority uh, speaking of the authority coming from the Lord. On the front, you'll see the breastplate where you'll see the 12 stones. We'll get to that in just a second. But it gives you an idea of what we're talking about. The turban, the white part on his head. The crown, which would say holiness to the Lord around his forehead uh, so that his mind would always be focused on the Lord and pay careful consideration to his feet. There's nothing on them. Why? Because he goes to the Holy of Holies. What happened when Moses stood before God at the burning bush? What did God say? Take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. What about Joshua when he found the commander of the Lord's army on the, on the eve of the battle for Jericho? You remember what the commander of the Lord's army told him? Take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. High priest had no shoes. Nothing that he would wear on his feet because he was to minister in the holy of holies. The very presence of God. And as we consider this, and as we're going to look at it in just a moment, I want you to hear what, uh, what the Scripture lays out for us in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, as we consider the, the, the high priest, it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Jesus is our high priest. No more. This was a picture of everything that Jesus does, is doing, continues to do, and will do for all of eternity. We don't ever have to worry about getting a, a sour high priest in the office because the high priest is Jesus Christ uh, according, to the, uh, according to the order of Melchizedek. We won't get too far into that. But this is what... The garb, what he would have wore, would have looked like. So let's take a look at as it's as it's uh, developed. First, they're going to begin. Uh, they shall take the gold, the blue, purple, scarlet thread, and the fine linen, and they will make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen, artistically worked. So that's where everybody has a different idea what artistically worked means. The guy who was gifted for it knew exactly how to make it. You and I coming in later, and maybe somebody else understands it, and, and they'll be right, but if you see, put ten artists together and have them draw the same picture. They don't all look the same, do they? 
They all be a little different. They all have a little different flavor. They all have a little different uh, attitude in it. So that's what we see in the ephod uh, as they're putting together the ephod. And remember, this this apron uh, it speaks of his authority as high priest. And where does our authority come from? Our relationship with God. Our relationship with Jesus Christ. Same materials that all point to Christ Jesus as our high priest. It goes on to say in verse 7, It will have two shoulder straps joined at its two edges, and so it shall be joined together. So it will have shoulder straps. You see him on the top coming down into uh, basically an apron that he's going to wear over everything else. And the intricately woven band of the ephod which is on it, shall be the same workmanship made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. The sash is the belt. Okay, I want you to consider this. How many times in Scripture does the the Word call us to gird up? To gird up the loins of our mind to be ready for battle. What were the, the soldiers to do? To gird up their loins. What does that all mean? It means that it's the belt that ties it all together, that ties our, our ability to serve, the ability to move forward. That's all done by the belt. Where does our ability to serve, to move, to do anything come from? Relationship with Jesus Christ. Why it's made of the same material. The Bible tells in Ephesians chapter 6 that we're to put on the whole armor of God. Remember what the belt was called? Belt of truth. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. He girds everything together, holds everything together for service by that that sash. That sash, Jesus himself, what did he use the sash for? On John chapter 13, what what did he do? He girded himself with a towel and washed the disciples' feet. Speaking of the service, how did he come as a servant, right? He didn't come demanding his rights as God to be worshiped. He came to serve. And so, and in John chapter 13, what did he tell us through his disciples? What does he say? These things I have done as an example for you to do also. That same attitude is serving, service. That's what the sash is going to speak to. And you will take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. So on the shoulders, there's going to be two onyx stones. Six tribes on one shoulder, six tribes on the other shoulder names of each of the tribes on his shoulder why because the high priest is to bear the children of israel to carry to bear them to bear them on his shoulders that he would have them the weight of them upon him his job his responsibility is to is to go to god for the people to go to the people for god he's going to do this work And to do that work, he must have the children of Israel upon his shoulders. He must bear them on his shoulders. Uh, With the work of an engraver in stone, like the engraving of a signet, you will engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel, and you shall set them in settings of gold. Onyx stone set in gold, covered in gold around the edges and placed on the shoulders of the high priest, that the high priest would bear the burden of the people. Isn't that what Jesus Christ does? Bear the burden of the people? Didn't he bear our burdens? Didn't he bear our sin? Carrying them on the shoulders. Now he goes on. And you will put, uh, as you put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel, 
So Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. He's going to bear them. He's going to have them uh, on his shoulders. And then you shall also make settings of gold. And you shall make two chains of pure gold like braided cords and fasten the braided chains to the settings. And you will make a breastplate of judgment. Artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine woven linen, you shall make it. That's the square breastplate of gold with the stone settings that you see over his heart. He goes on and says, It shall be doubled into a square, a span shall be its length, and a span its width, and you shall put settings of stone in it, four rows of stone. The first row will be sardis, topaz, and an emerald. This will be the first row. Second row, turquoise, sapphire, diamond. Third row, jacinth, agite, and amethyst. And the fourth row, beryl, and onyx, and a jasper. And they shall be set in gold settings. So we have 12 different stones, colored stones, that are going to be in this breastplate. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel... Twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name, they shall be according to the twelve tribes. So the twelve tribes of Israel are going to be engraved upon the breastplate of the high priest. What's the point? That they're always supposed to be on his heart. Bears them on his shoulders, and they're always on his heart. Speaks of the love of God for his people, and the willingness of Jesus Christ to bear our burdens. Cast your cares upon me, for I care for you. Isn't that what Jesus declares to us? So as we take a look at that, as we consider these things, we want to see that that's the breastplate worn over the heart, worn over uh, um, the, the front of the priest, just as we have up there in the picture. You will make chains for the breastplate at the end, like braided cords of pure gold. And you will make two rings of gold for the breastplate, two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. And you will put the two braided chains of gold into the two rings on the ends. And the other two ends, uh, two braided chains, you will fasten to the two settings and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front. And you will make two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate on the edge of it. And it shall be the inner side of the ephod. And the two other rings of gold you will make, you will put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod toward its front, right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. And these shall bind the breastplate by means of its rings to the rings of the ephod. The rings throughout the scripture we'll see over and over again speak of love. Rings will speak of love and rings of gold speak specifically of God's love, the love of God. What holds up the children of Israel? Is it their righteous works? What holds up you and I for that matter? Is it our righteousness, our righteous works? Or is it the love of God? It's the love of God. Romans 9, 10, and 11 show us over and over again the love of God towards the children of Israel that God never gave up on them. God didn't replace the nation of Israel with the church he, it, it's not even about that. It's all about Romans 9, 10, 11, that God still has a plan. That when the 70th week of Daniel comes along, that plan, we're going to revert back to that plan, and God's going to begin once again to move through the nation of Israel. As we look at that, that should give us comfort that God doesn't break his promise to Israel. Why? Because he won't break his promise to us. 
Why doesn't he break his promise to Israel? Because he loves them. Why won't he break his promise to you? Because he loves you. For God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So the breastplate, speaking of the people, the the 12 tribes specifically, is hung on the rings of gold, speaking of the love of God, the love of God holding them up. Again, as we continue to go through, uh, in verse 29 it says now, So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart, when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. The high priest was always supposed to have love for the people. He was always supposed to love the people. When he came to serve, it was about serving the people because he loved the people. They're on his heart. He's bearing their burdens on his shoulders. That's what it was supposed to be. It wasn't always like that. But that's what it was meant to be. And in Jesus Christ as our high priest, we have that fulfilled in him. In him. Because he loves us, he bears us, he carries us. Again, he goes on and tells us now in verse 30. And you will put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim. And they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. And here we have the Umim and the Thummim. The Urim and the Thummim. And people will argue about what that was forever. And the bottom line is nobody will ever know. Urim and Thummim means lights and perfection. In some way, through the Urim and the Thummim, God would speak to the priest and tell him what to do. Some people say that one was a white stone, one was a black stone. One meant yes, the other meant no. Some people think that it was in the breastplate. In fact, the Jewish tra- traditions, as, they, as you look at the writings of the rabbis, uh, through this particular section of Scripture, they believe that in the stones and the names of the twelve tribes and, and various things that were on the breastplate, that there was representative of every letter in the Hebrew alphabet and that the Lord would lighten up the stones and speak to the high priest by which ones lit up, write it down, and that was God's direction. The bottom line is nobody knows. The Bible said, Urim and Thummim, lights of perfection, and that's how God spoke to his people. The point is, God spoke to his people. We don't need Urim and Thummim or to know what that is, and it's probably better that we don't. Because if we did, it'd be like a bunch of, a little Christian Ouija board that we're waiting for God to tell us specifically what, you know, sometimes people will go to a person and say, well, what's God's will? What's God's direction for my life? When we think about God speaking to his people, we should always think of Isaiah chapter 30. In fact, we'll go there real quick tonight if you can just hold your finger there and flip over to Isaiah chapter 30. In Isaiah chapter 30, the the prophet, the prophet lays out for us, Isaiah 30, verse 1. It says, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel, but not of me, and who devise plans, 
but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who walk to go down to Egypt but have not asked my advice, to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, the strength of Pharaoh will be your shame, and the trust of the shadow of Egypt shall be your humiliation. As we take a look at it, what the Lord is saying through the prophet is, the point is that we seek God's direction in our life. I often hear from people that that will say, you know, I prayed about this and I prayed about this, but I don't know what the Lord's saying. Then keep praying. For God's sake, don't do something if you don't know whether that's what you're supposed to do or, or how the Lord's leading. How are you going to find God's will in our, in our life? It's, it's easy, right? Proverbs 3, uh, 4 and 5 lay it out for us, don't they? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And what will He do? He'll direct your path. James said, if any of you lacks wisdom, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to ask, and the Lord will give us that wisdom. But what did James say? Don't ask like that doubting man tossed to and fro. What's the doubting man? When we do a careful study of the Greek, we discover that what he's talking about is a man who made his own plans, and then as an afterthought, thinks about God and brings them to him. God says, don't do it like that. You're just going to be tossed to and fro. You don't really want my direction. You're just looking for my blessing after you've already made a decision. So we want to seek God. We want the Lord's wisdom. We want God's direction. We want the Lord to speak for us. We don't have to know what the Urim and the Thummim was. God speaks to us still today. Still today. I have heard God's voice in my heart. I've heard God's voice in my mind. I've heard God's voice so clearly at times that I thought he was sitting right beside me. I've heard his voice, but every time I was doing the same thing, I wasn't just sitting around in the desert, you know, in the lotus position, oming. I was studying God's word. I was praying. I was worshiping. I was seeking the Lord. I was coming before God in both in seclusion and in the house of the Lord, desiring, Lord, direct me. Do you really think God wants to keep his will for you a, a surprise, a secret? He wants to reveal it to you. But we have to place ourselves in a place where we can do it. I used to have kids when I did youth ministry come to me all the time. Jackie, I want to hear from the Lord. I want to hear what God's saying. Well, catch a clue, man. Take that, that uh, back then it was a Walkman. Now it's an iPod. They didn't have those back then when I was doing youth. <clears throat> it would have been harder for me to bust them when they were listening to the wrong kind of music. In a, in a Walkman, I could see it. And an iPod, you know, who knows. But anyhow, <coughs> I digress yet again. So the point was, I say, turn that stuff off. We spend so much of our life, what do we do? We drive from A to B, and we got the radio on. We sit at home, we get the TV on. We're, we're constantly being entertained. Uh, if, if I'm not doing something, uh, I, I want to play a video game. I'm going to get on the computer. I'm going to surf the Internet. I'm so busy plugging all this junk into my head from every possible direction, where exactly is God supposed to speak to us from? We've got, we're putting all that, all that junk of the world we're pouring into us, but we're not spending time in God's word, on our knees, in prayer, in worship, coming together as a body, seeking God's guidance, saying a prayer at night, Lord, guide my steps, and then going to sleep isn't the same thing as being focused on hearing for direction from God. We want to we have direction from the Lord. We need to 
as we saw in the diagram, God's got to be the center, not the edge somewhere, not out in the outskirts. We need to have the Lord in that rightful place so that we can receive. How was it the high priest received? What was he doing? He's in service, man. He's, he's got the people's uh, on his heart. He's bearing them on his shoulder. He's covered in a blue robe. What the blue robe speak of? Heaven. What, what's our focus supposed to be? Heaven. Don't believe that junk people say where you're too heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. That's bunk. I think so. more often the opposite is true. We're not heavenly minded enough. We're not considering Jesus Christ. We're not living every day like this is the day I'm going to see Him. This is the day I'm going to heaven. This is that time I want to be focused about doing the work that God's called me to do. Well, as we consider to go through, see if we can finish this chapter in. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. Verse 31, you will make the robe of the ephod all of blue. That's the blue robe we were speaking of. Again, blue speaks of heaven. There shall be an opening for his head in the middle of it. It shall be like a woven binding all around his opening, like the opening in a coat of mail, so that it does not tear. Isn't that interesting? That robe, that ephod, it's uh, seamless. Remind you of something? If you'll remember, Jesus had something like that as he went to the cross. Remember the the Roman soldiers said, oh, this, this is seamless. Let's not tear this. And for his garment, what they do? Cast lots. As he headed to the cross, he was wearing already a garment similar to what the Scriptures is talking about for the robe for the high priest. And look what it says. Verse 33, Upon its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet all around its hem, and bells of gold between them all. A gold bell and a pomegranate. A gold bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe all around. What's that all about? You see it right down there in the bottom of the blue robe. Gold bells. Next to that gold bell would be a pomegranate. What's it speak of? The bells speak of the gifts of the Spirit. And the pomegranate speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. If all you have is the gifts of the Spirit and you have not love, what does it make? Bunch of racket. If all you had was bells down there, it would make all this nasty sound. Clanging and clanging symbol, but when you put the fruit, speaking of what? First Corinthians chapter 13 is the fruit of the Spirit, speaking of the love, God's love, agape that He gives to us. Now, when we minister in the gifts of the Spirit uh, through love, it makes beautiful harmony. The, the rabbis tell us that they could always tell when the high priest went in the Holy of Holies because they could hear his service by the sweet music that it made. Now, I want you to keep this in mind as you consider that. Bell, pomegranate, bell, pomegranate, gift, fruit, gift, fruit. You do a study of 1 Corinthians and you study chapters 12, 13, and 14. You know what you discover? Chapter 12 is about the gifts. Chapter 14 is about the gifts. But what's sown in between them? Love, the fruit. Bell, fruit, bell. You see the same thing on the hem of the garment worn by the high priest. Speaking of the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, and the, the, the uh, gifts of the Spirit that guide us and lead us through it all. 
Now, it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers, and its sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, that he may not die. In fact, they used to tie a rope around his ankle. Maybe you've heard this. It comes out of the, the rabbinical writings about the scriptures, not in the scripture. It's in the rabbinical writings that they would tie a rope around the high priest's ankle. So while he was in there, if he stopped making sound, they couldn't hear it anymore. They couldn't just walk into the presence of God and take the body out. They'd have to wait a year to send in the next high priest. And by then, well, that just wouldn't work out. So they put a rope around his ankle, and if he stopped making noise or he died in service to the Lord, they would pull him out. Whether or not it ever happened, you know, that then it, we get all wrapped up in the into legend. But the Jewish rabbis did write that they would put that rope around their ankles when they would go into service so that they could know that they would be all right. Verse 36, And you shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving, engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord. This was to be the crown that he wore. Golden crown, holiness to the Lord. Why? What's on his mind? Holiness. Holiness to the Lord is always on his mind. What was always on the Lord's mind? What was on Jesus' mind? Was it on his mind to be popular with the people and you know, just kind of go easy and fit in everywhere? Or was his mind focused on pleasing his father? A lot of people, when they study the life of Joseph, they want to hammer on Joseph who told on his brothers when they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. I don't think we should hammer on Joseph. Why? What did he care about more than he cared about anything else? His father. That's why Joseph is such a great picture of Jesus Christ. He cared about his father. Pleasing his father. That's what it was all about. And that's what this crown is all about. Holiness to the Lord. What's supposed to be on our mind? Holiness to the Lord. Not what shows we can watch, what things we can listen to, what movies we should go to, what games we should play. Our minds should be focused on holiness. Drawing near to God. Uh, that that is the center of our being. Otherwise, we're just playing games. We're, we're saying, oh, I, oh I, I believe, or whatever, this or that, but, but I'm not really committed enough to really make that the forefront of everything that I'm doing, that, that I want to please God in what I do. Because that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where the rubber meets the road. We want to have that on our minds. Holiness to the Lord. Holiness. What's that mean? Set apart to Him. Set apart to Him. He's going to do His perfect work. When we pray, is it so that we can give God orders? Or is it so that we can report for duty? Here I am, Lord. Here's the things that are going on. Here I am. Use me. Be a part of, of what God wants to accomplish. And you shall put it on a blue cord, that it shall be on the turban. He's going to wear it on his hat. And it shall be in the front of the turban. So it shall be on Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hallow in their holy gifts. And it shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. Holiness, focus, holiness, on his mind, holiness. That was Aaron's job as he represents for us what Hebrews chapter 3 says is our high priest, Jesus Christ. Picturing that giving, providing that picture for us. And you shall skillfully weave the tunic of fine linen thread, and you shall make the tunic of fine linen, and you shall make the sash of a woven work. And Aaron's sons, you shall make tunics. So that tunic is the white that you see underneath. White, 
Then on top of that, blue robe. On top of that, colored ephod with a breastplate. The names of the children of Israel on his head, a turban. And on his forehead, the crown that spoke of holiness to the Lord. Totally, completely, utterly focused on the Lord. Then, in verse 40, for Aaron's sons, you will make tunics. Now, Aaron's sons, guys, Aaron's kids, Aaron's kids wore only the white tunic, only the white garment, only the white garment that speaks of righteousness, of of purity. And as we consider that, again, we're going to flip back to Hebrews, because Hebrews is such a great commentary on uh, on what we're studying as we go through um, the book of Exodus. In Hebrews chapter 2, I'm just going to share a, a couple of verses with you to consider. Verse 11, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are of one. Who is he who sanctifies? Jesus Christ. He's the one that puts us in a righteous relationship or a right relationship with God. Who are being sanctified? You and I. What does he say about us? He says we are one. For which reason he's not ashamed to call you brethren, to call them brethren, to call us brethren. In verse 13, and again I will put my trust in him, and again here I am and the children that God has given me. The high priest, the picture of the high priest, the book of Hebrews chapter 3, is Jesus Christ. The sons of Aaron, that's you and me. What are we going to be wearing? Tunics of white, covered in the righteousness of God. Why? Because we're his children. We're his kids. Just like Aaron's sons, they didn't wear all this. They weren't all that. They, were, they wore just the white, just the righteousness, just in service. In service uh, to, to the work that the high priest is doing. So, you will put them on Aaron, your brother, and his sons with them, and you will anoint them and consecrate them and sanctify them that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness that they shall reach from the waist to the thighs. So underneath it all, they had linen trousers, linen long boxers that they would wear underneath it all uh, to make sure that there was no chance that any of their nakedness would ever be uh, visible. Speaking of, it always reminds me of the story of Noah. You remember the story of Noah? He, he gets home off the ark, plants a vineyard. I'm not sure that was a good idea. Uh, harvests his crops, makes wine, gets drunk, passes out naked. One of his kids is mocking him, right? And he goes and tells his brother, oh, you come see righteous dad. You know, he's always telling us how good he is and how much he loves the Lord. But look, he's passed out naked. What did his other two sons do? They walked backwards with a blanket stretched between them so that they would cover him. What does the Bible say? Love covers a multitude of sin. Love covers. And so we, we see as we look at this that as we are prepared for service, all of, the, all of our failures, all of our frailty, all the things are thought of. The Lord is covering us. He's providing that covering that covering, that, that love that God has, that we can serve, that we can come before Him. We fail, we fall, God's love covers. And we get a new day, right? What does the psalmist say? His mercy's new every morning. Every morning, we, we get to start our day with a new one. And in verse 43, finally, they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they come into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, that they do not incur iniquity and die. 
It shall be a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. Everything that Aaron was wearing underneath all of the splendor, his sons wore. Everything that the father had, the sons wore. When Aaron died, who would take his place? His sons. And they would wear what he was wearing. They would put those things on. They would follow through. We're seeing now, right now, guys, <clears throat> where we're at, it was the firstborn that was going to rise up and be the priest of the family and that would serve and that would be a part. After the, the situation with the golden calf, we're going to see that all transferred to the family of Levi. That Levi is going to become the family that, through whom the priesthood would come. Why? Because when Moses said, okay, this thing has happened, who is going to stand with me? One family stood with him. Levi. And so he became, they became the family through which the priesthood would come. So we'll continue as we continue to go through. It's my prayer that God just give you eyes to see the truth of what Jesus said. When he told the Pharisees, you search the scriptures for in them you think that you have life. That's true. But what did Jesus say? It is these that speak of me. Amen? Would you stand with me and let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for just an opportunity to come uh, before your presence, to study your word, Lord God, to, to make your word a part of our life. Lord, there's so much uh, that we see revealed from the Old Testament as we shine the light of Jesus Christ upon it. Lord, so much will come forward. So much uh, rises to the top. Lord, I just pray that you give us a hunger and a thirst to know you more, to understand uh, everything that was taking place, Lord, to focus on all that you have. God, to desire ever to draw closer to you. If we find ourselves tonight and we're just standing in the outer courts, man, we're we're just in that place where we receive salvation, but we haven't stepped forward to the bronze labor. We haven't been sanctified. We're not allowing the water of God's word to wash us clean. Or we've not entered into the place of service. Or we haven't come to the holiest of alls where we, we stand before your presence in worship. Lord God, we always want to be moving forward. Because if we're not moving forward, we're falling behind. Father, help us to desire, to hunger and thirst, to come uh, just after a relationship with you, Lord. For you say, if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled. So, Father, I just pray for each and every one here tonight that they would have such a desire to draw close to you, to draw near unto you, that, Father, you would meet their need, that you would be the light that would illuminate the truth in their life, that you would be the bread that would uh, just bring your provision in every aspect of their lives. Lord God, that you would become the one who is constantly and continuously praying for us, fulfilling every part and parcel of service in this tabernacle. God, we just pray that you would continue to illuminate us, guide us, lead us, direct us, that we may bring honor and glory unto you. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.